Of course, today is the third Sunday of the Advent season, and we are looking forward to Christmas and the celebration of the birth of Jesus as a baby coming into the world for our sake. And between now and the end of December, between now and Christmas, I want us to talk a little more, as we started last week, about what I believe are the very serious implications for us as Christians surrounding the birth of Jesus. What it has meant for humanity that 2,000 years ago, Jesus came and ministered on earth as a man, and what it means for us today as we look to celebrate Christmas. So much of the world sees Christmas as sort of an, a rampant, materialistic kind of celebration, a time of giving presents and a time of feasts and a time of all of that sort of thing. And that's all fine. But for us, there has to be something more. And that's what we want to talk about. Today, I'd like to start by looking at a passage from Luke's gospel. It is Luke, the third chapter, beginning with verse 7. And I want to note that while this passage, at least part of it, uh, is often quoted as part of the Christmas story, it actually comes a long time after the actual Christmas event, that is the birth of Jesus. It's after the time that Jesus, as a young boy, was in the Jerusalem temple. It's after Jesus even has become an adult, but before he begins his ministry. And so in that regard, it is considered legitimately part of the Advent story, because Advent means coming, and particularly the coming of Jesus for his ministry. As we begin, let us now read from Luke 3, starting with the seventh verse. Hear now this, which is the word of the Lord. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. May God add his blessing to this reading of his word. I need to say that right before these passages that I've just read, immediately before them, we have the passage from Isaiah quoted that God will send forth a messenger to prepare the way. And the passage you know very well from Handel's Messiah, and the hills will be made low and the the way will be made straight. So this is clearly a declaration, a presentation of the fact that John the Baptist came as a messenger to prepare for the coming of the Messiah. And so again, this is why it's part of our Advent. Now, when we think of the Christmas story, including God's plan to send John the Baptist, 
Inevitably, we think of it as being warm and wonderful that God came as the baby Jesus in order to share our lives and to save his people. That God had promised a messenger that would come ahead of the Messiah and prepare the way for him. And that God speaks then to John the Baptist and says, go out and preach, prepare people. Now remember that the passage that's quoted about God will send a messenger on ahead is from the prophet Isaiah, said 700 years before the actual coming of Jesus. The message up to that point seems to be that everything will be better. Everything will be good when the Messiah comes. The Christmas event by this time has happened. The baby Jesus has been born. He's been growing up. He's already prepared to make his saving presence known. Yes, because the Messiah Jesus was going to make everything sweetness and light and joy and carols and peppermint and jolly and songs and carols and turkey and pumpkin pie and it's all going to be wonderful because Jesus has come to earth and his ministry of healing and teaching and saving is about to start now everything is going to be good right right John didn't seem to think so according to John the Baptist it's not going to be sweetness and light all the way around, at least not for everyone and not yet, because there's a problem. The problem, which we're reading about here in this passage from Luke 3, is that after the Isaiah prophecy that the Messiah is coming and everything's going to be great, John the Baptist then proceeds here in Luke 3 to smack everyone listening to him right upside their heads regarding what they thought they knew of the purpose for the coming of the Messiah. The crowds of people who are coming out to hear John preach, he calls them a brood of vipers. Literally, a pack of poisonous baby snakes. That's the brood part. Now, baby snakes, if you know anything about snakes, are actually more dangerous than adult snakes. If he were still alive, you could ask our dog Bob about that because he got bitten by a baby rattler when we were in Tucson one time, and the veterinarian said that the problem with baby rattlers is they don't know when to stop injecting venom. They usually latch on and, and, and give it all they've got, whereas an adult snake has got better sense than that. Anyway, a brood of vipers is worse than a bunch of vipers. This is the same expression Jesus later uses for the Pharisees. Then, after that, John proceeds to accuse these Jews. Now remember, these Jews have traveled on foot about 120 miles from Jerusalem to the River Jordan, where John is preaching. They've traveled about 100 miles, either on foot or perhaps on donkey back, to hear him preach. They come to the Jordan because, according to John, they want to avoid God's judgment. He tells them they are so full of themselves that they think they'll be blessed simply because they're Jews, that they are the children of Abraham, when in fact, John says, they are about to be cut down to size as part of God's just judgment against them. So much for the jolliness of Advent. The Jews listening to John respond to this verbal blasting by asking him, and apparently it's sincere, although it could be facetious, it's not really clear. They ask John, what they are supposed to do about these serious character flaws that he's pointing out. And so John tells them. He gives them a list, a sort of after-Christmas list of things they need to do. And it's not your usual 
kind of list. These are things the people had better do if they want to experience God's blessing through the coming of the Messiah rather than be judged when the Messiah comes. And here's the list. He tells them that anyone who has more than he or she needs, be it clothing or food, should give their extra to someone who doesn't have enough. He says that people should be fair in their dealings, not cheating other people in order to gain an advantage for themselves. He says that anyone in a position of authority should not use that authority to take advantage of other people, but rather to serve them. He says you don't lie about anyone else and that you need to be satisfied with what you have, especially with your paycheck. Yes, John calls these people to task in a really serious way. And he tells them in no uncertain terms that they had better clean up their act before the Messiah gets there if they know what's good for them. And how did these people respond to this upbraiding that they received from John? They wondered in their hearts if this man, this wild man in the wilderness, John the Baptist was the last of the Old Testament style of prophet, wearing a camel hair garment with a belt of leather, eating locusts and wild honey, not exactly somebody you'd want to invite to a dinner party. This wild man in the wilderness, the people looked at him, who, the man who had just so severely put them in their place, and they wonder if he might be the chosen one of God, if he might be the Messiah that the Jewish people had been waiting for for so long, because his words rang true, and they knew he was right. But John is very clear in a number of different places in the Gospels of saying that he is not the Messiah, that he's not even close to the Messiah. So much so, not even close, that John says he isn't even worthy to untie the sandals of the one who is really the Messiah, the one he later calls the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. And John tells him that the Messiah, when he comes, he will bring judgment. Those who are for the Messiah will be gathered to him and be blessed. Those who are against the Messiah will be burned with an unquenchable fire of judgment. This is very stern stuff. Oh, and by the way, Merry Christmas. (laughs) You see, the Jews of that day expected the Messiah, but they expected that when the Messiah showed up, then they would be put on top. Because they were God's own people, by heritage. No more Roman oppression, they thought. No more threats or problems from the Assyrians or the Babylonians or the Egyptians or Edomites, Moabites, Ammonites, Philistines or Phoenicians. All these people that have been such a trial to the Jewish people down through the centuries. The Jews thought, you just wait till our Messiah gets here and he'll show you guys what's what. He will straighten you all out and we Jews will be kings of the world. Because we are Jews, the children of Abraham, the chosen people. But John is very clear in telling the Jews that they've got it wrong. They thought that just being Jew was all they needed. They had forgotten all the admonitions from Moses and from the prophets that in order to be truly God's people, they needed to be righteous and compassionate and holy. Just having descended from a certain bloodline was not enough. The Jews had conveniently forgotten the part that Moses and the prophets told them that they had to be holy, the part that meant they had responsibilities to God that they had to fulfill. And in the process, 
They assumed they had no obligation at all with regard to the advent, the coming of the Messiah. That's what advent means, is coming. But John is very clear in telling them different. He told them they needed to become righteous and compassionate and holy if they expected the Messiah to bless them and not judge them when he arrived. And now today the question that we need to ask ourselves as we too prepare for the coming of the Messiah, at least the celebration of the birth of the Messiah 2,000 years ago, we need to ask the same question that John forced the Jews to ask themselves, which at its basis is simply, are we really ready for the Messiah to come? Are we prepared for what it means to be the people of God, a righteous and holy people when the Messiah comes? Do not misunderstand me. I'm not saying the Jews needed to make themselves good, to make themselves be righteous, so that by their own efforts they might save themselves. That's not how it works. And I certainly am not saying that we have to be good in order to save ourselves. What I am saying, and what John was saying to these Jews in the first century, is that if you expect the Messiah to come and bless you, you better be taking that seriously. This is not to be taken lightly. It is not a casual thing. If you expect the Messiah to come and to receive you into his arms and into his family, you had better be demonstrating to God that you desire him and that you desire his son by doing everything you can to be obedient to God's commands, to be compassionate and honest and righteous and holy. It's not that we try to be good so that we might be saved. It's that if we are saved, we should be trying to be good. And if there is no righteousness evident in our life, then we need to back up and ask the serious question as to whether we really do have a commitment to Jesus. He said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. So there is a connection there. So John exhorted the people, it says, and then he proclaimed to them the good news. That's a very... It's actually an astonishing thing to say, this connection in verse 18 between the many words that John used to exhort the people and then proclaiming the good news to them. To exhort and proclaim the good news sounds like a contradiction because exhort means literally to give a warning or a serious advice. It's the biblical word for when someone is doing something wrong and they get told to straighten up, which is exactly what John has been doing here to the Jews. So much so, apparently, that John continued to give them righteous what for, for how they were acting. John exhorted the people. He warned them that they had better straighten up. And he gave them advice about their lives, their conduct, their relationship with God, how they needed to be acting if they were serious about their relationship with God and their expectation of the Messiah. But at the same time that he exhorted, that he warned them, he also proclaimed the good news to them. These things are not opposite. John proclaimed the good news, which quite literally is the gospel. That's what gospel means. The good news that the Messiah was coming to save his people. All of those who were serious about him and about their relationship with God through him. John exhorted the people. He warned them and advised them and he proclaimed the good news, the gospel to them. It's an odd combination, but it's a very appropriate one. We all want the good news. I mean, who doesn't want to hear good news? We all want the assurance that the Messiah will come and he will save us and he will make everything right and everything new. And there will be, as Revelation says, no more pain or death or weeping. We all want that. 
But are we making the same mistake that the Jews made in John the Baptist's day? Are we assuming that the coming of the Messiah will give us everything we want without also taking into account that God has told us we have responsibilities? We have a responsibility to serve God by caring for other people, by being honest, by not taking unfair advantage of others, to be satisfied with what we have rather than being greedy for what we don't. Those of you who have been here know that when I preached from Matthew 25, when Jesus said, I was hungry and you fed me, I was thirsty, you gave me drink, I was in need of clothing and you clothed me, I was sick, you cared for me, I was a stranger, you invited me in, I was in prison and you visited me. And then he says, as much as you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it for me. Our commitment to Jesus is reflected in how we treat others. That's exactly what John is saying. And that's why this church is so involved in so many outreach ministries. It's not because we think that's the whole point. We think that's the result of the whole point. Our point is that we believe and worship Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God who saves us. And because of that, we have a commitment to care for those in need. And that's exactly what John is telling these Jewish people who came out to him. You see, the coming of Jesus into the world was a time, appropriately, of joy and blessing and light. It was the reason the angels sang glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom God's favor rests. But the advent, the season of expectation of the coming of the Messiah then and now must for us be more than just joy and carols and wassail and pumpkin pie. There has to be a serious side. A very serious side, as John makes clear to us. Jesus, we talked about last week in my sermon, Jesus came into the world to save us because we needed it. We needed saving. We were lost and broken and wandering in the darkness and we needed his help. We needed a guide to bring us out of the darkness. We needed the good news, but we also needed for our lives to be changed in very real and practical ways. And we are saved, and we are helped and guided, not by our own power, but by the power we can receive when we accept Jesus Christ. And in response to the promise of those blessings, we should be doing all in our power to express in our lives the righteousness that John exhorted the people to when he gave them the good news of the Messiah. Advent is the time when we recognize the coming of Jesus to earth as Messiah, and it should be the time of joy and celebration of parties and feasts. That's very appropriate. But it also, for us, has to be a time when we ask ourselves if we are doing all we should be doing to be obedient to God, to be the people He has called us to be, the people to whom He sent His Messiah, Son Jesus. It is a time for us to ask, along with our joy at the good news, if we are truly accepting the exhortation of God to be righteous and compassionate and honest and good as best we can. We will always stumble. We will always fail in some way. But are we doing all we can? Are we asking ourselves those questions this Advent? Am I being righteous in the way God desires for me to be as best I can and compassionate and honest and good? If we haven't yet, can we, between now and our celebration of the birth of Jesus, can we ask ourselves those questions? Amen.